As a quick question as we get started, uh, how many of us have seen the 2022 or the 2022 film A Man Called Otto? Okay, for those of you that haven't, uh, it follows the story of a man named Otto. And uh, Otto is not your traditional protagonist in a movie. He's actually quite bitter. He's quite cynical. He sees the world from a very dark angle. And as we're introduced to Otto at the beginning of the film, he's just lost his wife of, uh, of several years. And he is, uh, in his old age, contemplating taking his own life. And through the course of the movie, the most beautiful part, and it was from a book originally, but I read the book. Um, through the course of the movie, each time he's about to take his own life, an opportunity to serve one of his neighbors comes up. And in the midst of his pain, and in the midst of his struggling, and in the midst of his cynicism, he takes each opportunity that comes up. And as he navigates through this pain, and as he navigates through these struggles, he begins to bless others, despite the fact that he is still very much so hurting. And through blessing others, as we progress through the story, we start to see how much he ends up being blessed through, how much healing even comes through these moments of serving the people around him, how much, like how many of the relationships around him are restored, how beautiful things turn out. Uh, even though there's still some hurt there, even though there's still some pain there. Um, I, I actually use that just as an example because today uh, we're, we're continuing sermon series, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and last week we talked about, by the way, this will be recorded through this little, this little machine here. So it will be available later. This is for you, that all you people that were, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm just kidding. Uh, but where last week we, we went into what's called the Beatitudes, the blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And what we talked about was that humility is the strength of God's kingdom, that it's not the independent, it's not the strong, it's not the enduring, uh, it's not those individuals that receive God's kingdom. In fact, it's those that are poor in spirit. It's those that are, that are dependent. That word poor in, in a culture where there's not a, everyone doesn't have much. Like no one has a lot. Everyone seems very poor. That the idea of poor means actually dependent on others in that world. And so it's actually those that are dependent in spirit that actually receive God's kingdom. And we talked about how we're supposed to read the Beatitudes. The fact that when we read them, we should read them in a certain way. And the way we're meant to read them is one, they're supposed to be a vision for, for who we're to be. We want to be people that are thirsting and hunger for righteousness. We want to be people uh, that if we're mourning are, are, are comforted, that experience the comfort of God. And then as we go past that and we look into the second section of the Beatitudes, which we didn't get to, uh, you start to see things like people that are merciful, people that are peacemakers. And these are really moments where we say, hey, this is the vision of who we want to be. But it's also a declaration of good news that in the midst of our failure to be those people, uh, we actually see that Jesus has fulfilled that for us. 
that he also has become that person. He's become the peacemaker. In his mourning, he's consoled. Uh, he's reliant on God, and he doesn't just bring the kingdom, but he, he actually gives it to us. And so uh, that's kind of what we, what we started on. And this week, we're, we're changing pace here, and I'm using the auto story to kind of bring us to the next place that we uh, are going to in the Sermon on the Mount, which is um, really understanding what it means to be the salt and light of the earth. And, uh, and here's the thing. When we start thinking about what it means to be the salt and light of the earth, what we start to understand is if humility is the strength of the kingdom, and this is, seems to be an upside-down kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into, that he's offering us, that he brings into the world, if, strength, if humility is the strength of God's kingdom, serving your neighbor, loving your neighbor, is the lifestyle of this kingdom. As opposed to our lifestyle oftentimes, which oftentimes, uh, like I said, involves like pursuing things that make us comfortable, that bring like is really going after the idea of comfort, that sometimes we're very selfish, materialistic. The way, the lifestyle of of God's kingdom is loving your neighbor. That's the first and foremost thing that we kind of tune to do in his kingdom. And and, and we want to explore that first by going through Matthew 5, 13 through 20. I'm going to read it. It's not that long, but it's longer than some of the other things we've been working on. And so uh, I want you to read it with me. I I heard last week that I said that I was going to say this is the word of the Lord, and you were going to say thanks be to God. I think it's thanks be to God. Someone corrected me. You got to remember, these are white people phrases that I'm just trying to bring in here, but I don't really be knowing. So uh, I'm trying to bring in this white people phrase. I think it's a really good one of the white people. Y'all killed it with this one. Uh, and so, yeah, we're going to say uh, this is the word of the Lord, and I want y'all to say thanks be to God uh, back. And so let's practice real quick. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're killing it. All right. So we're going to start verse 13, and then we're going to go ahead, and I'm going to read through 20, and then I'll, I'll, we'll conclude it with the... With this is the word of the Lord. Uh, starting verse 13, this is Jesus speaking to those he's, he's preaching to uh, in, on the mountain. Uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And gives it light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Verse 17. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not. I came uh, or did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So... This is, oh, dog, I had already forgotten. I'm serious. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm telling you, I've not grown up like this. So, now, let's do this. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we're going to run that back because I was out. Y'all's, y'all's first y'all's practice round was 18 times better than that. All right, ready? So, uh, you will not get into the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. I was like I said, we, we say it's new for us. It's, that's okay. Um, hey, so what I want to do is I want to work through this text, and I want to really bring it about Uh, in three specific ways. I want to cover first the idea of being salt and light. From there, I want to think about protecting our hearts. That's a little bit of a weird phrase, but I want to explain that in a little bit more depth. 
Uh, and then I want to, from there, finish up with us thinking about really finding strength in Jesus. And so as we get started, we first want to think about what does it mean to be salt and light in the world? If we go just to verse 17, or not 17, verse 13, uh, Jesus starts off this section inviting people after having gone through all these be- what were called beatitudes, what the, the blessings. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, right? The whole section there. He then changes it up a little bit. Uh, and then from there, says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty, right? So all of a sudden, he switches it, and we want to know what's happening here. What is going on? I think, first off, we need to know that he's talking to us because he literally says, you, you, the listener, you, those who are sitting down in the grass, but also you, us, who are here, Uh, right? We are the salt of the earth. But what the heck is the salt of the earth, right? What, What does that even mean? I think for us, we oftentimes think of salt, and how do you think of salt? What is it good for? Seasoning. Seasoning, that's the big one. I like cooking. Preserving, preserving, that's another big one. What else? Huh? Melting ice. Melting ice? Okay, I've quite literally never heard that before in my life. Uh, I'm a Texas boy through and through, all right? I've never seen snow in my life. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Except for that one year where I saw a lot of snow. Um, anybody else? Well, melting ice. Margaritas. Margaritas. Okay, so there's margaritas. Uh, here's the thing. If you go look up what this means, it's actually quite challenging because salt was used for so many things in this world. Salt was a, a standard part of every day, and it was a part of every single, like, really, really, like, blessing that was a part of their lives. If they cooked food, they put salt in it. If they cut themselves, they put salt in the wound in order to try and start healing. If they needed to disinfect something, they didn't go put alcohol on it. They used salt to try and disinfect it. If they wanted to preserve meat and food, they put salt on it to preserve meat and food. And so when we see the word salt and you instantaneously think, I want cooking, preservation, margaritas, salt, I mean, you know, uh, melting ice. I don't think they had that problem. But um, when we think, when we see that and we project onto it one thing that we really want to talk about or that we're really thinking of, what's actually happening? is that Jesus probably isn't narrowing in on even one of those things at all. He's saying that salt as an idea, as a character, it plays a huge role in the life of people. It blesses them. It helps them. It sustains them from day to day. It sustains their food. It brings them healing. And the thing is, I want you to be like salt. I want you to be the thing that preserves them and keeps them from falling off the deep end in pain. I want you to be the agent of healing that comes in and provides a sense of care and restoration after they get a cut. I want you to be uh, the thing that disinfects almost like a, like a light in the world that comes in in the midst of, of that which, which is dirty and starts to make it light and starts to make it bright. And, and that's what he's starting to communicate to his people. I want you to be like salt. I want you to be a blessing. And that's funny because right after that, he goes into the next section where he goes, you know, I I want you to be like a a city on a hill. I want you to be like, and this is another weird characteristic because we don't really have like, we have neighborhoods on hills. We don't have a, the city now is so humongous that we, you know, this is, we don't really grasp this idea. But a city would have been like a city center on that, that's in an elevated area. And all the countryside didn't have streetlights, didn't have electricity. It was kind of pitch black. It was kind of dark. And if there was ever a concern about a war, an invasion, a raid, if there was ever a concern about someone getting hurt and needing assistance, 
the whole of the countryside would look up and say, I should go to the city. And they would know where the city was. The city would be elevated. And it would have uh, basically like, like, what are they called? Not the sticks of fire. I'm losing, I'm losing a very torch. A torch. I'm losing a very basic word here, guys. They would have torches surrounding the whole city on the walls of the city. And they would almost be like a lighthouse for people on the countryside to come to. Saying, I want you to be like that. I want you to be like a lighthouse where people in the dark come in the midst of, of that which is scary. That which feel, when they feel threatened, when they feel lost, when they feel insecure. I want you to be like a, like a city on a hill that brings people to you. Where they find refuge and they find strength. You know, I want you to be kind of like a lamp. So he's done a lot of work here, and it's actually really interesting. It's like a lamp, but you don't, you don't see a, a, a lamp as, they don't light it and put it under a basket. They, put it, they, they light it and they put it on a stand because that actually is what a light does. It, it brings light to a room. Once you like a lamp, then the darkness brings light to a room. And so he's given us all these visions of who he wants us to be. He wants us to be helpful. He wants us to be a blessing. He wants us to, to serve others. And, and really, he says from there, let your actions... Right, this is, I think, in verse 15. Uh, let, let your actions, right, let them be, be displayed in a way that brings really glory to your Father. Right, act in a way, uh, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your, your Father in heaven. And so I want you, a couple of things here. This is the vision that God has for us. But he is saying let, as in, you have to do it. So he's giving us invitation. He's giving us what's called imperatives. In, in, in the theology world, this is really important because it's saying that, that, that he's telling us to do something, not as a, can you do this, but a, you need to do this. This is something you need to do. This is a part of what it means to be a part of my people, a core part, not an optional part, but, but a core part. It's a foundational idea that you would be blessing, that you would be a blessing to others. And so, so where to be a blessing? And let me ask you a quick question, though. Do you see yourself as a blessing? Do you see yourself as a blessing? Um, let, let me maybe ask you a more, a more difficult question. Here's a question that I have to think about a lot, and I want you to think about a lot. Not just do you see yourself as a blessing. Do you see, do you see yourself as a blessing to anyone that you're not close to? Do you see yourself as a blessing to anyone that you're not close to? To anyone that's not in your family, to anyone that's not in this church, to anyone that you don't consider friend, to anyone that you don't generally like. That, that's a big question here. Because Jesus in the future, as we keep reading the Gospels, will use language like, man, evil fathers don't deprive their kids of bread. Right? They, evil fathers provide for their children. Earthly fathers, sinners, they, they all take care of the people they love. That's telling us that this doesn't mean, hey, be a blessing to everyone that's around you. Just in your house, those that you really care about. It's saying, be a blessing to the, to the world. You're the salt of the earth. And that doesn't mean the salt that comes from the earth. The way that phrase is constructed in Greek, it actually means you're the salt that's applied to the earth. Not you're the salt that's been taken, but you're the salt that's been given. You're not there to take, 
actually, I, I've made you my people and I've sent you out because I'm, I'm, I'm putting you in the world. I'm putting salt on the world so that you can bless the world. Not your house, but the world. Not people you like, but the world. Not people that are like you, but the world. And yet, the reality is, in our lives and in our society, oftentimes we use things like ethnic culture, political differences, socioeconomic affiliation, or just plain preference. I like that person. I don't like that person. Not as a means to, to let our, our actions be displayed so that our Father is glorified, but rather, and negatively, instead of using them like that, we actually use them as dividing lines to say, hey, actually, this is, this is the reason why I don't bless you. If you were actually more like this, I would bless you. If you were more like that, I would bless you. If you actually believed more like me, I would bless you. Or if you didn't do this type of thing, I would bless you. If you actually believed or saw the world more like me, if you were part of my political party, or if you were part of my this or that, I would bless you. But then we take it one step further in the worst case scenarios, and we use those differences not just as a reason to not bless people, but rather we use it as a reason to become a curse to people. And I gotta be very honest. Like, the church historically in America is guilty of this pretty bad. Like, we take the ideas of what we think are right, what we think is right, what we think is the good thing, and instead of seeing differences as, as, as places where our Father in heaven is going to be glorified through the love and care we offer to others, we see those differences as gaps that cannot be, cannot be bridged, and therefore, we use them to say that the other people are the others that they're the marginalized group or they're the bad group. We create something that in our modern world is called a culture war, right? Where those are the bad guys and I'm the good guy. And we do it for everything. We're like, hey, your political difference, you're the bad guy, I'm the good guy, right? Your, your um, ethnic differences, at times we can end up saying, you're the bad guy and I'm the good guy. And here's the thing, historically, that has oftentimes looked like the oppressor uh, quote-unquote being, and the theme out there is that the, the white individual is the oppressor and the minority is the non-oppressor. But the thing is, we live in a world where that, that oftentimes is flipped too. And now, like, there are people in here that I, I'm, I'm Hispanic. And, and there can be narratives within our cultures that say not just that the actions of oppressive people are bad, but that whole communities of people are bad. And those of you that are minorities that you, maybe you've gone and, and gone to family gatherings, you know what I'm saying. There are moments where it's like, oh, white people this, white people that. I just gave white people credit. The white people in the room, I'm telling you, y'all put the banger out there with the, with the this is the word of the Lord. But let me tell y'all, and y'all already feel this, there are definitely times when y'all don't get credit, y'all get dragged. And you get dragged simply because people have created this difference that, again, God's people are meant to bridge and say, no, 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 there's history there. Maybe there's a difference there. Maybe we don't see the, same, the world the same way. Maybe we don't even have all of the same opportunities. But rather than that being a bridge to which I'm going to build and see the glory of God displayed, I'm going to use that as a difference and I'm going to create an other for them. I'm just going to say, no, y'all are bad. Y'all are oppressors. The, the, the funny line uh, from, I think it's funny, um, the funny line from uh, the Black Panther movie where so someone tries to touch, I believe it's to do with the dreads, and he's like, don't touch me, colonizer. And it's like that, that feeling, right? <laughs> right? And yet in the midst, that's what we do, but, but that's not the vision here. The vision here is there's a world that has these differences. There's a world that has these chasms. There's a world that has these, these, these 
aching things that have become so deeply part of people's identity that they create huge gaps between them. And I've given salt to the earth. I've given a city on a hill. I've given a lamp in a dark room so that a bridge can be built over these chasms. And from there, the glory of your Father in heaven can be seen. That's the vision that's going on here. We argue, we fight, but the thing is, when Scripture, uh, Scripture doesn't give qualifications for who receives your love. Scripture doesn't give qualifications for who receives uh, you being a blessing. Right? The world is filled with its different people and its lost causes. The world is filled with people you like and people you don't like. And in those moments, you're still called to be a blessing. It may be that it's a blessing called auto. It may be that you go through it reluctantly. It may be that you go through it with a lot of baggage and you're actually frustrated. And like Otto, every time you just have that anger and the resentment and the cynicism built up and then God puts something clear in front of you like someone in need and maybe they're different than you, maybe you don't like them, maybe you're kind of agitated by them, but you end up saying, hey, in the midst of my frustration and my cynicism, I'm going to give a blessing called Otto and I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and bless them and then I'll return and come back and still stay brooding for a minute. But you know what? You follow through with what the Lord called you to. He may not be finished with you yet, but he may be calling you to help him start with someone else. And that's okay. Trust me, he can start in someone else's life and, and help you keep on down the path too. He can do both. He's not, one, he's not so one-dimensional that he's like, hey, you can't be a blessing unless you're... No. Maybe it, it might be that you are kind of like Otto and that you're going to have to just be brooding, have your agitations, struggle with the things you're struggling with, but still be offering the blessings that God is calling you to, to offer. To still be the salt, to still be the light. Which brings me to the next idea that I want to tackle just really quick. Which is there's, a, there's another hurdle we often overcome, we have to overcome when we're thinking about being a blessing. And that's that many of us from here build this image of what we think life is supposed to be like when we're being a blessing. In other words, uh, kind of we see this perfect little house, we see a dream job, we see enough money in the account uh, we see all the things that kind of amount to this, this dream scenario. And we believe being a blessing is directly linked to being blessed, and being blessed is about being comfortable. I'll be a blessing when I'm blessed, and what blessed means is I'm comfortable. When I'm comfortable, that's when I'll be a blessing. Right? You see, this idea is linked, and I, I, let me just say this. This is not what's in the Bible. It's the opposite of what's in the Bible here. Because this idea of those who are salt and light to the world that are the light, X, Y, and Z, it's not those that are, that are blessed. It is actually those that are blessed, but not the way we think. It's linked to the section before this. It's linked to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are these people, the, the individuals that are blessed and favored. That word blessed there means to be favored or blessed. And so he actually is saying, hey, all those who I've said are blessed in the section before, these are all the same people that are going to go be salt to the world. And you might think that must mean these are the individuals that have a nice car. That must mean these individuals that have a big fancy house where they can invite people into them. That must mean that these are the people that have multiple cars so that in case anybody needs one, they're just like, hey, you can borrow mine, big guy, right? Like, it, you must have this idea where it's those blessed people that are going to be the salt of the earth. They're going to be the most blessed ones. But that's not the language the Bible uses in that section. No, the favored people in the section before, if you think about just some of the language, we're going to put some of the descriptions up here, 
right? The favored people uh, in, the, in the section before, if you think about who is a blessing, who's going to be the blessing? They're poor in spirit. They're mourning. They're humble. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're merciful. They're peacemakers. But the final one, they're persecuted. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you have me, but you're here, you're blessed. You have a relationship with me. You have hope. How, how grim would it be to inherit the, the world and lose your soul? How grim would it be to have everything you could ever want and still have an aching that it's not enough? How grim would it be to, to reach all of your wildest dreams and to find out that, like Ecclesiastes says in the Bible, they're like a vapor, that when I try to grab them, they seem structurally sound. They seem like there's something to hold on to, but my hand actually ends up just going through them like they're nothing, and I'm left empty-handed again. Hevel was the word. And yet he's saying, hey, but when you're mine, my people that have me, they could be poor in spirit, mourning, humble, hungry, thirsty, merciful. They could even be persecuted, but they have hope. They have hope that the, the anguish of the day is not the final word in their voice. That the, that the provision they have today is the final provision of their life. That, that when everything seems mounted against them, there's, there's factually a king who's declared, I'm victorious over the darkest moments of your life. And whether it's on this side of eternity, I'm going to be very clear about that. Whether it's on this side of eternity, on the other side of eternity. Meaning whether it's in this life or when your final breath is breathed and it's breathed through the anguish and the aching of hunger in your belly that you have never even imagined could happen. And this is true in some third world and, and poor countries in the world right now that there are people who are dying of hunger and they breathe out their final breath and it's wrapped up into Christ's victory like that. That those who hunger and who are thirsty, they'll be satisfied. That those who have that hope, they can cling and know what I'm, what I'm facing right here, right now, that's not the end of my story. There's an eternity of timeline. There's, there's a timeline of eternity that waits ahead of me. And so guess what? Those who have that assurance, go be salt of the earth. Go be the type of salt that provides others with hope, but this shows others that there's more to hope in than just what's in front of them. It's more than just what's in front of you, more than just the material things we own, more than just the, the, the relationships we have in this moment, more, more than just the, the, the status that we have here, more than just the things that we consider comfortable, that we label as blessings. There's so much more than that. He's saying these people are going to be the blessings. Uh, this story, I think, is captured well in, in a man named Bob. He, I'm positive he's passed away now. Uh, positive. But he, well, I worked at a place called Software Advice on Congress. It was this really nice building right on, like, the really cool part of Congress, you know, like, with all the fancies. It wasn't as much. I was, like, in my early 20s, so I was, it was not nearly as fancy as now. But it was still cool. It was still populated with a lot of people. And so rather than, than I, I, was, I was a young man who was very irresponsible with money. And so every time lunch came around, I'd be like, I'm going to go hit up Congress and just peruse the streets 
And, and be young, I was a Christian young man, so I wasn't out there like, hey girl, I, more so just saying I was out there ready to spend more, more, I was more so I was ready to drop cash on a lunch I could not afford. And during my, my, tra my, my travels on Congress, I met a homeless man named Bob, and Bob was super cool. Bob was an old white man with a beard. His beard was probably down to here. And I'd always be like, Bob, how you have all them clothes on, bro? Because it'd be like summer, and Bob be having a, a beanie on and like three jackets. And he was like, oh, I got to take this all. He had like the smoker's voice, like hardcore. You know what I mean? Like, I got to take all this with me. You know, I got to keep it on me. I, you know, move around. I got to you know, have it on me. And uh, he had like a kind of country accent. And I was like, you know what, Bob? You're so cool. Here's my number, bro. Call me whenever you need something, and Bob will be calling me. You, you think that you're going to say that, and they're going to be like, okay, this is a common courtesy. Social etiquette is to take this and be like, oh, I'll save this for emergencies. Instead, Bob was like, hey, man, you free today? Like every other day. They'd be like, hey, I'm beyond. Right. And then I'd just pick up the phone and be like, hello, because they always do random numbers, because he would call from pay phones. Uh, and then he'd just be like, hey, man, this is Bob. Uh, are you around today? I'm beyond Congress. And I was like, yeah, I'll be around. And I'd take him, I'd buy him some food, X, Y, and Z. And then Bob started being really cool in a, in a whole other way. He was cool as in, like, I like him first. But then he started kind of doing this thing where he'd be like, hey, one of my friends needs something. And there's that part of me that instantaneously was like, oh, Bob, you're taking advantage of me now. And then because I was young and irresponsible, I was like, yeah, bring your friend, Bob. As I was reading this, I started thinking through my life about Bob, though. Bob didn't have much. Bob's gone now, I'm sure. And instead of saying, I found this young kid on Congress, he's young, he's stupid. I basically just be hitting up like, can I get lunch? And he gives it to me every time. This kid is a gold mine. If I just have it all for myself. Bob started bringing around the people that he could. He started sharing what little he had with whoever was around him. And that meant some homeless people because that was Bob's community. That was Bob's world. And as much as I could look and be like, oh, Bob took advantage of me, I kept saying yes, because I liked Bob. And Bob ended up introducing me to more and more people that were part of his community, and it changed the way I saw them in fundamental and real ways for the rest of my life. I think Bob's a good example. Bob's life was not perfect. I never put Bob in an apartment. Bob was, Bob smelt. I could, if I knew I was getting lunch with Bob, I knew I was going to get something to go because I couldn't eat around him. His life was not going to be turned 180. Bob just knew he had a blessing and he was going to share it. And that was the end of it. It wasn't waiting until everything turned around. It wasn't waiting until everything was good. It wasn't waiting until Bob was comfortable. It wasn't waiting until Bob was blessed. Bob had a blessing and he distributed it. That's what he knew how to do. And I think in a lot of ways, when we see that it's the hungry, it's the thirsty, it's the this, it's the that, when it's all these things who are called to be the salt and light of the world, so often we think we have to wait until we're in a certain phase of life in order to get to the point where we're a blessing when God is saying it's these people that can be a blessing. Just take what you have and give it. And trust me for more. Trust me for whatever you have, whatever you need, but, but, but be a blessing with what you have. And I'm not just talking about material things. If it's that you are in an emotionally difficult situation, It may be that God still does want you to be emotionally available for someone else. I'm just going to put it out there. 
And the thing is, so much of me feels uncomfortable saying that because so much of me, out of a deep longing for you to be healthy and be good and to be okay, wants to be like, no, no, no. If you're in a difficult situation, then you may need to like be a recluse and, and kind of like take care of yourself and then from there be a blessing to others. But I see this specific set of ideas and then I see God saying, be salt in the earth, be salt distributed to the earth. And I see mourning, uh, thirsty, hungry, persecuted people. And God's saying, I'll provide for you. Just go be a blessing. It leads me to say that there may be times in your life where you are burdened. And God wants wants you to use your life to be a blessing. That burden and blessing, they don't contradict each other. They can actually exist at the exact same time in our lives, not because we're so okay, not because we're 100% healthy, but because the Lord is working in our lives and he's present. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I know that that's the invitation here. And so we're to be salt and light in the world. But let me add my asterisk here. There is a, a, an element of protecting our hearts here that I want to just make an allusion to here real quick. Uh, you notice that there's two weird additions here that uh, there's salt that loses its saltiness and there's a lamp under a basket. Okay, so there's two things where he's like, hey, I want you to be all these things, but he gives this contrasting idea, but salt loses its saltiness and, and you, no one lights a lamp, puts it under a basket. What does this mean? Again, super weird uh, kind of language that we have to kind of decipher a little bit. And there's two ideas that are really up front and center here. The first one is that salt taken from the Dead Sea, which was just east of where Jesus was at this moment. From, so the Dead Sea would be where they collected a lot of their salt. Salt from the Dead Sea, if it was left in the searing sun, right, if it was just, just getting abused by the near eastern climate of it being like 105 or whatever, and it just, you know, just assaulted by the sun, it could start to, dissolve, it could start to evaporate. And there would be no more salt left, but actually just the impurities from the ocean that were left in the bucket. That's the first idea. The second idea is that in order to make salt last longer, people would cut salt. And that idea means they would add something to it in order for it to kind of be, to go longer. Uh, And so to make it last, they would add little things in order to make more salt, but it was less actual salt. It was salt and X, Y, and Z. And both ideas are probably at play here. Jesus is probably trying to, to give us some insight to say that, make sure to protect your heart. One, uh, in the first way, uh, the first is that if you feel the burdens of life uh, and it feels like your faith, your saltiness, or your hope is just dissolving away, uh, friend, I'm fully, fully confident in what I'm about to say right now. This is the exact opposite time you're supposed to go off and be by yourself. If the burdens of your life are just just coming down on you like the salt of the Middle Eastern sky coming down and evaporating salt, it's the opposite of the time to go be by yourself. Two things I want to encourage you to do. If you feel the weight of that, run to God, run to community. And you might need to run, on top of that, you might need to run some type of professional, right? Like, think about counseling. Sometimes we, we do very much so have things like um, medical realities we have, to, we have to undertake and we have to know, like, hey, getting through this doesn't just mean being strong. Uh, in fact, if we're going to read 
the scriptures and apply them to our lives, that's not oftentimes what strength looks like. It's actually being open to, to being supported that's actually strong. And so in the midst of the, the sun and the weight of life bearing down on you, it's not the time to, to go be isolated. Rather, it's time to run to God, to run to community, and to seek help. And that help may come in different ways. Like I said, it can be just community. It could be a support structure. It could be counseling. It could be medicine um, for your emotional, mental, physical state. But, but don't isolate in the midst of that. When life is at its worst, it's not the time we're supposed to run away. It's, supposed to, it's the time we're supposed to run toward. We run toward God. We run toward refuge. We run toward strength. I don't mean the church, although the church too. Um, we run toward the idea of community and God in order. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, it's 1215. Big dog. Okay. So that's the, that's, and then the other, the only other thing is, uh, I'm not one for prohibition, I, I, meaning like I don't look at everything in the Bible and think, hey, don't do this. What I will say, though, is if something is, is sapping your faith and you're indulging in it, stop. If you're cutting the salt, you're adding in things that are impure and you feel it, you know it. It's hurting you. Stop. I, and I, I love you enough to look at you and say it will destroy you. Last thing is just to find strength in Jesus, friend. Some of us may look at these ideas and feel that they are very, very challenging. They're very, um, like, how do, I, how do I manage to, to do all these things? How do I manage to be a blessing? How do I manage to hold intention the fact that God may ask me to, to love people when I'm hurting? Man, he might. How do I protect my heart? How do I do all these things? And I commend to you the last section here. In verse 17, Matthew says, don't think that I came to, I mean, Jesus says, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. That before Jesus ever sets us out on the path of being salt to the earth, before he ever sets us out on the path of loving others, before he ever sets us out on the path of being a blessing while we're being in pain, before he ever sets us out on the path of protecting our hearts, he goes in it first. He doesn't come to abolish it. He comes to fulfill it. He shows us what it actually looks like to embody the law in a way where he actually is the salt of the earth. He is the salt of the earth. He comes outside of earth and is applied to earth in the fact that he comes to love us. He comes to serve us. He's the one that actually comes and is the light on the hill. He's the one that draws those into darkness. John 1 actually does an incredible job of painting this picture where he said those in darkness will receive a light. That's in a whole other book. The people in the New Testament had this, really, had this all figured out. Right? There, there's so much here when we look at Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, the one that did it first. He is actually being a blessing through his worst moment. He's sweating blood while giving himself and serving and loving people on the cross. And so this is actually where we see so much of this happening is, is not in our lives, but we find strength and encouragement and motivation to do it, not by saying I want to buckle up my bootstraps, but by saying I want to follow the king. And the first place he fulfills this idea is not in everyone around you, it's in you. That you were the one he served. You were the one who receives the light, the, the salt. That before you were ever salt to the earth, Jesus was salt for you. That he was the one that served you and loved you and cared for you. He's the one that sees you and hears you. He's the one that's with you, that comforts you. That's why everything before this that we read said, hey, this is a vision of our life. But likewise, this is good news, that Jesus did it first. And so when we're called to have strength, we're not just called to have strength to be strong. We're called to find our strength in his strength.
We're supposed to find it in what he's done for us, not in what we do for others, not in what we do for ourselves. But it starts in understanding Jesus as the first blessing, the blessing that we receive, and he is, in fact, the blessing that we then release and let go of. If we don't have him, everything you're going to do from this sermon is going to be rooted in how much you can pull off on your own, and you're just going to be a tired person. You're going to be tired, achy, empty. Jesus is going to have to look at you and be like, hey, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And it's like, but you were supposed to be here, but it's, it's no big deal. Just come. All right. We don't want that. We want to be a blessing, but we likewise want to work from the healthiest place, which is to, to have received the blessing of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So with that, let's pray. Um, one application point, do five good things. For, I think that's what I wrote down. Do, bless five other people this week. Just do it. If you got to do it like Otto, just do it. To be like, I'm going to pay for the person behind me. And then you sound like Bob while you're doing it. That's fine. Uh, and then the other one, I think I wrote down a second one, which is just thank God for something, one thing every day this week. Be like Bob in that way, not Otto, but be like Bob and just thank God for one thing every day. Just humbly thank him. Let's pray. Uh, and then we're going to do one song, and then we'll wrap up. So, Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the ability to come here to serve and to, to, to grow. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.